Welcome to episode four of Conversations with Cody, Jazz Talks. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of getting to know a bit more about one of Canada's busiest figures in jazz, drummer, composer, and music publicist Ernesto Cervini from Toronto. A graduate from the Royal Conservatory on Piano and Clarinet early on, Ernesto quickly changed his focus to the drums for his university studies, where in due course he graduated with his master's degree from the venerated Manhattan School of Music in New York. Since that time, Ernesto has built a reputation as one of Canada's top band leaders, composers, and side musicians. Every group Ernesto decides to put his energy into quickly becomes a nationally known entity, such as the Juno-nominated trio Myriad Three, his own Ernesto Cervini Quartet, or his newest project, Tetrahedron, which brings together top players from Toronto and New York. Of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention his group Turboprop, which this year won a Juno Award for their most recent album, Abundance. And if you thought Ernesto wasn't already busy enough, he is also on the faculty for the University of Toronto's jazz program, is one of Canada's busiest music publicists through his company Orange Grove Publicity, and to round things out, just happens to be raising a young family. Thanks for joining me today, Ernesto. It's my pleasure. (laughs) That sounds like a lot of stuff. It does. I was going to say, this is probably the first question you get all the time, but uh, where do you find the energy for it all? Um, Well, I I would say of all of those things, by far the hardest uh, part is raising two children. Um, Everything else pales in comparison. Um, But I I get really restless. I'm one of those people that gets really restless if I'm not busy all the time. So, um, you know, this... Doing all the having all these different projects, it, it's just kind of is natural for me. If when whenever I have a little bit of downtime, downtime, um, I immediately start. I start to feel anxious, and then sometimes I start to get sad because I feel like I'm not doing anything. So, um, yeah, <laughs> keep doing all these things just keeps me uh, happy and busy. So when I when I look at everything that you do, Ernesto, and we, when I ask you know where do you find the energy? So if you're saying the hardest part is the children, good gravy! If you didn't have a family, what would you be doing right now? Would you be prime minister? What's going on? <laughs> well, to be honest, uh, before I had kids, um, I just wasted a lot more time than I do now. <laughs> as you know, uh, when as soon as you have, you just find ways to work way more effectively because. You know, back, you know, before I had kids, uh, my wife would go to work in the morning and I would have from nine or eight when she left the house until 4.30 when she came back, if I wasn't teaching that day, to kind of do some practicing, exercise, you know, maybe work on some business stuff. And then once I had kids, that like seven hour block turned into 90 minutes while my son naps, if he naps, (laughs) you know, so you just learn to work so much more effectively and efficiently. Um, and I think we're all like that. You know, once um, the kids go back to school, hopefully in a couple weeks, this will be the first time uh, since my son was born that I will, both my children are in full day school um, in September, hopefully. So um, we'll see. I bet you all start wasting more time again because I'll have more. <laughs> so I think that's just how human nature. So I don't know about you. For me, obviously, the big change with COVID has been uh, not going out to play with other human beings. So my wife is happy on that side of things. Obviously, our daughter is now home all the time. But 
the fact that I'm home more as well, it balances that out a bit, I guess. Are you finding that right now? Or are you, are you quietly playing tons of gigs out there that no one's aware of? <laughs> no, uh, I'm definitely home all the time. Um, yeah, I, it, it definitely, it has totally evened things out. So you're right. The kids are home all the time. I'm home all the time. I had a couple of tours that were canceled. Um, so, I mean, I haven't traveled now in a year, uh, over a year. I think the last tour I did was last May. Um, and I mean, and that hasn't happened, um, uh, maybe in 10 years that I, that it's, I've gone that long in between traveling. Um, which is really hard for me because I love that part of being a musician, traveling around, whether it's traveling around Canada or traveling around the world, playing music is amazing. Um, but the flip side of it is my my son gets really it's really hard on him when i go on tour and so he's been thrilled because daddy's around all the time so we've been hanging a lot um so i i feel like i'm trying to constantly remind myself that when this all ends if i mean i'm sure it will at some point but <laughs> we have to temper our our hopes i guess um but when and if this all ends i i feel like i'm gonna look back on this time and and think, oh, there was such an amazing time. I got to spend so much time with my family. So while it's happening, I don't want to be wishing it away because, you know, with with kids, they're only whatever age they are, they're only that age once. And every day they're a little older and they're a little closer to being teenagers who hate you. So I want to embrace every minute that I have of my seven-year-old son thinking I'm awesome. Um, so, yeah, so it's... it's you know, I've been just trying to make sure I'm always thinking about the positive things that are coming from this and then, and then keep myself musically fulfilled and energized. Um, I've been practicing a lot, uh, which was great. Um, which has been great. And, um, trying to, I'm writing a new project that I've been working on for a while. So, so I've just been trying to keep myself busy and then enjoy all the family time. It's one of those things people don't talk about a lot is musicians going on the road. Like the, the reality is the joy you get by being a musician is most often found touring, playing live, meeting new people, being in new places. But then you've got that other side with your family where it can be tough, you know, and it's that hard balance between, oh, hey, I'm on the road and away from my family or I'm, I'm out doing what I love. When you are touring, how do you balance it? Well, I try not to go on tour for too long on any given tour. So it, my wife and I talked about 10 days being a max. Now that's not always, she'll say I never <laughs> follow that. I try, but, but it's hard. If you're going to Europe and you do 10 days, you lose a day on either side. So now it's a week. If you go all the way to Europe, you want to you at least get two full weekends in to, to really make it worthwhile. Um, even if you're going, you know, even going across Canada, you want to get two weekends into your tour because those are usually good days that you can play the bigger places. The financial need of touring, yeah. Yeah, the reality of it, right? Yeah, we try, I try to keep it uh, as much as I can to 10 to 12 days, I would say. Um, and then, you know, try and space them out so I'm not going... Uh, they always end up being... The fall generally ends up being fairly busy, um, and then, you know, there's a break as the weather gets horrible and then things start again in March, April, and then hopefully there's a summer festival tour or something like that. Um, 
I, but uh, yeah, I just try and make sure that I'm keeping them in mind. I mean, at the end of the day, I, at some point I have to tell my wife what's happening. So I think about that conversation and <laughs> how easy or difficult I want it to go. And, uh, you know, cause if I go to her and I say, honey, I've been offered a six month tour, right? That's a lot harder than I'm going out for the weekend. <laughs> well, we won't be here when you get back. Basically yeah. would probably be the response. So, um, and then, you know, while I'm on the road, of course I, I, keep in constant contact with them. I, I pay for my phone to be local wherever I am so I can FaceTime and I can call them on the, you know, wherever, whenever. Um, obviously when I was younger and I didn't have kids, I didn't always do that. And so I go, Oh honey, I, I couldn't call you yesterday. I'm so sorry. We were, it was one of those days, but now it's like, okay, that can't happen. So I have to make sure that I can, I'm, I'm always, uh, reachable. Um, and, and it's still hard. It's really hard. Uh, it's, it's really hard on them and they don't, uh, love it. I, I was supposed to go to Australia in, what was it October? And then, and then the tour fell through. Um, but I remember telling my son that I wasn't going to be going anymore. And he was so excited. <laughs> and it was funny cause I was so upset that I wasn't going and just seeing his response kind of, you know, it kind of reminded me like, right, th- this sucks for me, but he's so happy that I'm going to be around. So maybe he's got dad around. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of, uh, you know, that uh, kids have a way of putting everything into perspective um, and making you remember kind of what's important. (laughs) I want to follow down this family path a bit since both yourself and your sister, Amy are very high level musicians. Um, So you know, as I mentioned when I introduced you, that you you know you did Royal Conservatory on piano and clarinet. Um, where did this? Did were your parents musicians? What was the background that that drove you and your sister to this life? Um, so my mom worked at a works actually she still does at a music school as the coordinator for the school, um, and so her and her partner run this school and. Uh, when my when I my when I was young, my parents split up, and we spent most of our time with my mom. And so, as a kind of single mother, this was how she kept us busy: is we went to the music school after school, uh, and took lessons and practiced and took lessons and practiced and took lessons. And we were in groups, and we were just super busy with music all the time. Um, and so we kind of all grew up in it, and. Uh, we were all part of um, a big band in Toronto called the Toronto All-Star Big Band that kind of became not only a great training ground for us as musicians, but also it kind of became our, our group of friends. Um, and so I think through those two things, um, and I have another sister, Marisa, who's uh, in between Amy and I, who's also a musician. She's a, a music teacher in the Toronto School Board. Um, and she did, she got her... ARCT in flute and then also did grade 10 piano. So she's also super talented musician. And, um, yeah, we were just all kind of trained in it. And, and, uh, Amy was also a saxophone player. I don't know if she, she was a jazz saxophone player. She actually went to new England conservatory for sax and then switched over to voice halfway through. So we all kind of, we all had two instruments Wow. and I had three instruments cause I was the youngest. So I got in it the earliest. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, and luckily, I mean, we were forced, you know, we were forced to practice and it wasn't like, 
I woke up every day saying, man, I can't wait to do three hours of piano practice today. Um, but that being said, uh, I think because of all the other stuff we did in music, we still loved it. And so we kind of all maintained our love of music and now we all ended up pursuing it in one way or another. So you've recorded tons of albums. You are a master drummer in Canada and you happen to be right now, um, arguably the top publicist for jazz in Canada. Where did the publicity side start in for you? That was a bit of an accident, I would say. Um, I, so when I, my first album came out, uh, which would have been in, when was that? I don't remember, a long time ago. Um, and maybe it was 2005, and uh, I didn't have any money. I was still living in New York, um, but I didn't get any grants or anything because I had just come out of school. I just finished my master's degree, but I made this album with um, Toronto uh, musicians, Mike Murley on sax and Adrian Frugi on piano and John Maharaj on bass. And uh, so I did all the publicity for it myself. Just, you know, I just researched radio stations, jazz radio stations around the world. And just, I kind of just figured it out. Um, my sister, Amy, uh, used to run a um, artist management uh, company. So she was working with, she did some work with Fred Hirsch and Matt Wilson, great drummer, and um, Peter Eldridge from the New York Voices. Um, so she was doing management stuff with them. But because she had some skills in all that stuff, she taught me a lot of the, the basic stuff that I needed to get going, like how to make a one sheet and how to, you know, uh, write a press release and just the, the basics. And then, um, so I did all the publicity for my first album. And then when my second album came out, I hired a publicist and I was really disappointed with uh, what was done. I just wasn't very happy with, with uh, the results. And I thought, you know, man, I could have done that better myself. That sucks. Um, and then I didn't think about it for a while, but what I did do was complain to all my friends about, about this. And actually I had a lot of friends complain to me about, man, there's just, you know, there isn't anyone that I want to use and who have you used and what were your experiences? And a lot of us were having the same stories or we like, yeah, it kind of sucked. I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't great. It cost a lot of money and I didn't see that many results. And so I said to enough people, you know, I think I could just do it better myself that finally somebody called me on it. And, um, the, uh, there's a great alto player he, uh, here in Toronto named Johnny Griffith and, um, a guitarist named Nathan Hiltz and they have a Griffith Hiltz trio. Um, and so they contacted me, uh, you know, because we had had one of those conversations and, um, asked if they could put me on their grant application. And I was like, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, sure. You know, that'd be fun. And then they didn't end up getting the grant, but they called me back and said, okay, well, we didn't get the grant, but we would love to use you. You know, what would you charge? And can we do this? And I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> so, so we kind of bartered and, and Johnny ended up designing my first website. And, um, and I just kind of dove in and uh, it started off as, as obviously as a side project. I was, you know, I think my first year I did, I had five clients and I was charging very little because I didn't really know what I was doing. So, and I said to my clients, like, listen, I'm new with this, so I'll do the best I can. But, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing yet. And then I charged them accordingly. And then 
So whatever it is, seven years later, um, it's become a huge part of what I do on a daily basis. And I have two employees that I work with, um, who are also really great musicians and really good friends. Um, and, and we're super busy. We're working with artists kind of across Canada and, and even some artists in the U S. Uh, so it's, it's been a lot of fun and it's so great and rewarding to be able to take these great Canadian artists and send their music around the world and have all these people come back to me and say, wow, I didn't know Canada had such great music. And, um, it just makes me happy to know that it's getting out there and people are hearing it and, uh, people are learning about what's going on here. Now, the question for me, obviously, with leading on that is, um, how do you balance out the, we'll call it business side of Ernesto Cervini and the artist side, allowing space for both to do their best? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I try to make sure that there's always time for both in any given day, in any little bit of time I have. I mean, the trick with running the business is I'm generally working for my peers. So I have a huge responsibility when I take on a client because chances are it's someone who I know and will hopefully, if I haven't already started or played with them, I will hopefully play with them at some point. So um, I have to make sure that I, I never drop the ball because if, you know, it could be a huge detriment to, to obviously to the business side, but also to my personal and musical side. Um, and I, I don't want to risk that. That's, that's way too risky. So um, I try and make sure that uh, I always put the business first, um, even though I, you know, I want to play and make music all the time, but I always make sure Orange Grove has to get done always, no matter what. Um, and then I, I don't feel like the two things really compete because I'm doing publicity for people's albums. So it's not like they ever, comp- even if my own album is coming out at the same time, they're not really competing, you know? Um, but I have asked people if I have had people, sorry, ask me if I would do tour booking for them or grant writing. And those were things that and I can't like that. Then I would be competing with myself because you want to tour Canada. I want to tour Canada. <laughs> so I don't want to be trying to book you a tour. And then when I call them about me, they're like, well, I just booked you. And I'll be like, no, 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 that wasn't for me. I'm like, yeah, it kind of was, <laughs> you know, so you can only go to the well so many times. So, and same with grants. I don't want to be writing someone a grant application when I'm applying for that same grant. Then there's an obvious issue there. So, but with publicity, I never felt like there was, I, I will happily, promote someone else's thing and not feel like I have to compete with it where, you know, I want it. Uh, every Canadian artist that does well helps everybody else in Canada, I think. Um, so the more I'm promoting everybody else, the more I'm promoting myself anyways, like I'm promoting all of us. So, yeah, so I haven't felt, uh, I was nervous about that at first. I really was. Um, so I've, I've moved slowly with this and, and gradually, and I felt like uh, up to now it hasn't become an issue. And But I've always maintained that the minute it did, I would you know, figure it out, and if I had to, I'd shut it down. Because um, th- that being said, um, my, main assistant, uh, my main assistant at Orange Grove is Dan Fortan, who is a wonderful bass player who produced my last album, Tetrahedron, who is the bass player in Myriad 3 uh, that I'm in. So we have a 
very tight musical relationship and we're really good friends and he's also my employee. So um, when he started working for Orange Grove, I said to him, you know, if there's ever, ever, ever an issue, you tell me right away and we figure it out or we just end this because the musical side of our relationship is way more important than this. You know, we can, I can find someone else to do this if it's not working out. Um, so I, I'm very careful, or at least I try to be very careful with um, making sure that I, I'm keeping everything balanced and, you know, trying to keep everybody um, working together happily. And, and so far it's worked. So crossing fingers, it keeps that way. You know, I can say from the receiving side and having uh, worked with you in various ways as an artist, you guys are great. So congrats. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. You have a brand new album out, as you mentioned, Tetrahedron. So it's yourself on drums, uh, Louise Denise on sax, Rich Brown on bass. And then you have a special guest, uh, guitarist Nir Felder from New York. Tell me a bit about this band and your new uh, project. Sure. Um, so the band started as a trio, cordless trio, me, myself, Luis, and Rich. Uh, and we played around Toronto for about five, six years. Um, we'd, we'd play, um, you know, at the local clubs here. And we, we were developing a, a rep, a set of music that we played all the time. And um, it was one of those things where the, the first time I played with Rich, actually, Rich isn't incredible electric bass player, like world-class, incredible guy. Um, and the first time I played with him, I was like, oh man, this, this. I mean, I, I knew of him. I had heard of him before. Um, I'm sure I had heard him play before, but playing with him, I was just like, oh, all right. That's, <laughs> there's, something, there's something special there. And we seemed to click really well right away. And then I had been playing a little bit with Luis. And at the time, I didn't realize how much they already played together. Um, but I, I put together a trio gig uh, for the three of us as part of, I, I got like a, a month, a month long, um, kind of residency at the Rex in Toronto. So you get a, a weekly gig every week for a month. So it's usually four or five, four or five gigs in a row. And what I did was I had a different band every week, just put together musicians I like to play with and, um, and Toontown, which is another group that I'm in with Kelly Jefferson and Artie Roth was one of the bands that I played with back then. And then this was another one. And, um, so right away I felt like there was a really great connection there. And when we talked about making an album, uh, how we were talking about how great it would be to get a guitar player. And especially cause we had such a strong trio thing happening that they wouldn't need to come in and fill the necessarily, necessarily fill the traditional role of the comping instrument. They could just kind of be more of a, like a free agent and do whatever they want. Cause we kind of already had it down as a trio. Um, and so that's what we did. And I, I had met near, um, when I lived in New York, whatever that was 12, 15 years ago. And, uh, we played together a bunch then. And then I would all, I had been keeping tabs on him cause he's such a wonderful musician. I was seeing what he was up to. And, um, so, I, he was in the back of my mind as someone that I, I always wanted to make sure that I could play with again. And so when this kind of came about, we thought about recording a new album or our, sorry, our debut album. Uh, and I was thinking about guitar players that I wanted to play with. Nier was right at the top of that list and uh, I got in touch with him and he was happy to do it. And uh, so that's what we did. We, we flew him in uh, from New York. We played two nights at the Rex and then we recorded 
and uh, it was it was really cool. I mean, he had a a really great vibe. I mean, I knew he was going to because I you know I knew him, and he was such a nice guy. He's a great musician, but he really fit in with the group really quickly and seamlessly. And um, there was no because you know how it is when you introduce new musicians into an already developed thing. It, it can go in different ways. It's it's risky. You don't know. It can be amazing or horrible. <laughs> yeah, it, and almost not in between. <laughs> it's almost only one or the other. It's not like oh yeah, it was fine. Well, but if it's fine, then it's usually then it's a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You're exactly right. So I think that was that was it. I, it was a little bit of a risk, but at the same time, I knew Near as a musician, and I knew him as a human being. And so I wasn't, I wasn't too worried about it because um, I felt like vibe-wise and personality-wise, he would, he would be okay. And, and yeah, and so we did that. We, I, he came in, and, and I was super happy with the way things went, and I'm really proud of the album, and I think, it's, uh, I think it sounds very different from everything else I've released and recorded as a musician, um, which is what I wanted. I wanted it to be a departure and and something different yeah most of the music that i've heard you on has been more acoustic um feeling like even though this is still an acoustic group with the electric bass it definitely changes the context and then with electric guitar right it just it it brings it over i think to a different side that i haven't really heard from you as much exactly and i mean i haven't done it that much i i rarely play with uh electric instruments um and this music is a lot more funky and backbeat and uh, aggressive. And, um, and so that was kind of, and it just made sense with the instrumentation, you know, like if I'm, I'm going to have Rich Brown in the bass, I'm not going to pick a bunch of, uh, you know, straight ahead swingers. Cause it's, I mean, he, it's not like he can't do that. Of course he can, but that's not his bread and butter. Hey, what you, you know, when you have him, you want to get him on some, some lines that he can play. And so I, that was my idea is, you know, I have, I mean, that's the other nice thing about having a bunch of different groups that you can work with is that I don't feel like I need to try and fit any group into a different shape hole than they are naturally fit in. So, you know, with, when I'm playing with, um, turbo prop, uh, you know, I can I can do stuff that's more straight ahead. And that band, there's because there's three horns, I can do, you know, there's way more arrangement possibilities. Whereas when I'm playing with this band, especially when it's just trio, um, it's it's more about getting a good groove down and finding some stuff that we can really stretch out on. Now, speaking of Turboprop, obviously, we have to talk about Turboprop today. Your newest album, Abundance, won the Juno this year and the group uh just for listeners is saxophonist tara davidson and joel fram then trombonist william karn adrian frugia on piano and dan loomis on bass tell me what was that moment like finding out you had just won a juno online it was crazy we actually had some people over my wife had invited my sister and her husband and then my brother-in-law uh and we were all supposed to be going to saskatoon for the junos and so um, that day she, she bought some balloons that spelled out Juno and she, um, 
got a little red carpet and we set it up in our living room. And I didn't know anyone was, I didn't know any of this was happening. I really didn't. I just, about a week before I said to her, you know, it'd be kind of nice if we did something. Cause like this has dragged on so long that we haven't heard anything. And then we're just going to sit and watch it like, you know, in our jogging pants. Cause I pretty much wore jogging pants for all of, um, March to May, <laughs> maybe even into June. <laughs> I, just, I went on a jogging pan only uh, diet. That was, that was my COVID uniform for a while. Um, I thought it'd be kind of, a, you know, like how about if I win and I'm just sitting there not really doing anything about this. Uh, but then I didn't, I was like, oh, whatever, what are you going to do? Like, this is such a weird time. And, and then she kind of pulled out all the stops. So um, she said, well, listen, let's just let's wear the clothes that we were going to wear for the Junos. Let's we'll get dressed up. We'll have some fun. And then, so I did, and I was wearing this nice tux that I had bought. And, um, and then my sister and her husband came in and I was so surprised. And then my brother-in-law came, drove, drove over here from Hamilton. And I was so surprised. And then, you know, then they, I still can't believe they said my name. Honestly, I was, completely shocked um because the the category was completely stacked um and you know dave young and al muirhead of course are both incredible uh musicians and um like elder statesman in canadian jazz and then uh brad turner um and jay Manette. i mean <laughs> it's like you know <laughs> so i really i was just psyched to be amongst uh that group and um so I was in shock and I'm still in shock. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, anytime you're judging music, it's, it, it's such a, it's such a crapshoot. You never know what people are looking for, or what people like. And, um, you're just happy to get anytime, even the nomination is, is such an honor. And, uh, after that, I mean, whoever wins, it's, it, I think it just comes down to who knows, who knows who, what the, however many judges there are. I don't know that much about the process, but, um, you know, it, I think it just comes down to, there's so many intangibles that you're just happy to be in the, in the conversation. At least I was. So, um, yeah, I was, I was beyond thrilled and, and very surprised. And, um, the Juno just arrived, uh, the other day and I'm, uh, I just keep looking at it. (laughs) I'm very shocked that it's here. But uh, but thrilled. So it's probably sitting a little higher, a little higher up on a shelf outside of Little Hands Reach. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I, I gave my children strict rules. My my son can, he can get it now. He's he's tall enough that he could find it kind of no matter where we put it. But because it, it's very heavy, it's actually shockingly heavy for how for the size of it. So I said to him, Charlie, you, you cannot touch this. You just cannot touch it. So we'll see. I have I already have nightmares of it breaking in half, but well, the good news is I think they're about five hundred dollars to replace. So you can. I think yeah. they are. Yeah, I don't want to have to do that, but. <laughs> well, congratulations! It's a beautiful album and well deserved. You put together so many projects. You're involved with so many projects. You know, to have one that 
that comes through like this. It's a huge congrats to you. Thank you. It it I really appreciate that. Okay, so you've got Tetrahedron that just came out, and you were going to tour that this summer, correct? Yeah. And then you've got Turboprop, which is uh, yeah, you've just won a Juno for, um, and you're on the Toontown album with uh, Kelly Jefferson that just came out as well. Yes, me, Kelly, and Artie, and we have we have a new one that's going to come out in the spring. You have another trio, which is yourself, Joel Fram, and and Dan Loomis, which I saw in January, which was also a stellar group. Like, how many bands are you currently a major contributor in? Would be active right now if you could be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess those ones in Myriad 3. Myriad 3 is the other one um, that that band was going really hard for about eight years. Um, We had four albums come out. and then the past couple of years, we've kind of taken it easy. We've slowed down. We haven't recorded in a while. We've still been playing together, um, but we kind of slowed down uh, because we were just going so hard for so long. And I think we all wanted to, needed a little break. Um, and that's with Chris Donnelly on piano and Dan Fortin on bass. Um, so yeah, there's, yeah, I guess it's five then that I'm, that I'm a like musical contributor in terms of, um, you know, lead, either a co-leader or whatever. I mean, the the group with Joel and Dan, it's it's kind of Joel's. I mean, it's a Joel Fromm trio, so it's kind of his thing. But then, but it because it's a trio and we all play together so much, so it it musically it's a very collective vibe. But it is his bit, like that's Joel's band. But Dan and I help book some of the gigs, so like you know, in that way, it's. It's still kind of a collective thing. And this is the thing. You have a couple of groups where it's trios, cordless trios. Mm-hmm. For you playing in a cordless trio versus, you know, t- turboprop, which is a full band with multiple horns, uh, what's for you kind of that difference, that appeal between the different groups? I love, I, I mean, I've also noticed that I happen to be in a lot of trios and a lot of cordless trios. I think what I love is the freedom and the space that you can get because you have to think that cording instrument is the only instrument in the band that can really play. Um, well, I guess a bass can kind of play two or three notes at once, but they don't do it very often, but it's really the only other instrument that can play two or three notes at once and often plays seven or eight notes at once. So, um, they just fill up so much space musically, um, when you have a cording instrument and that's helpful. Um, but it can also, it can also be, uh, make the music a lot more dense. And so as a drummer, um, I have to be aware of how much the core, the comping instrument is comping because we're, you know, what I'm doing on my snare drum and how I'm filling things and how I'm, um, accenting things and, and interacting with the soloist, it can easily get in the way with whatever the comping instrument is doing. Um, and so an easy way to deal with that is not have one. <laughs> And then I have all the space in the world to do whatever I want. So, uh, and I tend to be a fairly active drummer. Um, so for me, I guess I've just gravitated towards that sound. And I think it, I think it's also just that it fits my style of playing. Um, cause it hasn't been a conscious thing where I said, well, I have to work in cordless trios cause that's gonna, it was just like things that worked and it tended to be that. I was thinking a little earlier in our conversation as being a bass player myself, thinking about your different groups 
and you tend to across the groups you have a lot of different bass players you work with and i've always found from from my point of view working in trios quartets and any group if the drummer's not there it's going to be a tough night for me <laughs> uh and if it's a pro if it's a project that i'm invested in I really need to have a hookup with the drummer. Yeah. I'm curious with you with just with those cordless trios and such. And when you were talking about Rich Brown and, and that, um, is that kind of feed into where you come from that hookup that, you know, we don't talk about as much, but between bass and drums. Absolutely. I completely agree. Yeah. If that's not there, um, you know, then it's, it's a really long night. Uh, and there, you know, I wouldn't want to be in a working band where I didn't have a, great musical relationship with the bass player and i i can feel it pretty much immediately when you play with someone that you really hook up with um it just makes everything easier right everything just feels good it feels easy and it feels like you can do whatever you want you don't have to worry about them or or play according to them you can just play um so and i feel like we're blessed in canada because there's so many great bass players just just oodles of great bass players. It's kind of crazy. Um, I mean, for me being based in Toronto, I think there's more great bass players than any other instrument. And it's not even close. Um, it's, it's insane. Cause I could, I, you know, I can list like 20, uh, bass players that I love to play with. And I, I'm, when I get to number 21, it's someone who's amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's not even, you're not stepping. So I never worry about finding a bass player. I'm like, Oh, that's, I could do that last. There's so many great bass players that, um, so it's a luxury. And so that's why, you know, I, there is a different bass players in a lot of these bands. And then of course I, I play with Dan Loomis a lot who isn't based in Canada. Um, but he and I had, uh, played a bunch together when I lived in New York and we have such a great hookup. Musically and also personally, we're really good friends. And uh, so, you know, once you find, and I'm sure you agree with this, once you find someone and there's, that hookup is there uh, personally and musically, then you just want to, you want to make sure that you keep that going and you nurture that as much as possible. Um, so, and I've noticed that people have started hiring, like um, people have started hiring Dan Fortan and I as a kind of as a team because we play together in uh, Myriad 3, and then I often, um, if I get a gig uh, here in Toronto, he's one of my first calls, and he often subs into Turbopop. And, and so then, I mean, it's natural if you're going to pick a bass player or a drummer, you find the other that they play best with, and then you just take the pair, right? I, I think if I was a horn player, that's, ab you know, you don't want to, I don't know. <laughs> if there's a pair that works, just go with it. Well, and I, I always think of that. Like when you think of uh, different bass players or you think of different drummers, usually like if I'm thinking of a great drummer, that bass player clicks in as part of that equation. It's it's kind of like whenever you're getting a rhythm section, you're getting a couple. Like they're <laughs> – so, so we'll just say you and, and uh, Dan – yeah, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Me and both Dan. It's funny. My kids are always like, "Which Dan are you playing with? Is it what do they call him? Cookie Dan or Funny Dan?" Because <laughs> Cookie Dan is Dan Loomis because he came over to our house and made cookies, obviously. Yeah. And then Funny Dan is Dan Fortan because he's funny. He's um, a funny guy. Although Dan Loomis, is, they're both pretty funny guys. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, it seems like sometimes I only play with Dan bass players because 
I play with those two so much. You're a very upbeat uh, person, and I think I think of my knowledge of Dan Fortan, who's a pretty funny guy. Would you say musically that maybe sense of humor helps feed into your playing, or would you say no? Once I get to the drums, I'm dead serious and and. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know that's not true. You see me play. <laughs> I smile a lot. I, I, for me, yeah, the joy is really important. You know, one of my favorite drummers is Matt Wilson, and when you see him play, he's just like bubbling with joy all the time. He looks like he loves to play the drums, and um, that's often how I feel on uh, when I get to perform, especially now since it happens so. Rarely, if at all, um, the couple times that I've been able to play with other people, it's it's just, there's a lot of joy that happens. And so I definitely look for that in other musicians. Um, I want, I want to be on stage with people who are having fun and who are enjoying themselves. And, uh, to me, that's really important. And it, it took me a while to learn that because I played with great musicians and, but their vibe on stage wasn't, um, wasn't necessarily joyous. And sometimes I would struggle with that because I was like, why, why do they seem so miserable? Is it, is it me? Do they not like my playing? I get all insecure and messed up and get in my own head. And, you know, and then when every time, I mean, Loomis is a, a great example because he's super um, open and exuberant when he plays. He's like, it, it, so you can't help but have an amazing time on stage with him. Um, and so for me, being, having that energy around me is so vital. It makes me so much happier and it makes me play better and, uh, I enjoy it so much more. And so um, I've noticed that, you know, as you get older, you start to figure yourself out a bit more. And I've definitely figured out that that is extremely important to me. Uh, I can tell you it comes across in your playing uh, every time I've seen you live. And I don't know if you remember the first time you and I played together. I think you were 19. The Banff? Yeah, the Banff Center. And I remember watching you play then thinking oh watch out uh you had about you had you had energy to burn so and obviously you still do <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've always had a lot of energy i i i um when i see my son bubbling i kind of know where it comes from i get it <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for joining me uh ernesto it's been a pleasure chatting with you thank you cody this has been great Awesome. And if people want to find your music and find out more about you, they can go to your website. Would be the best stop, I assume. Yes. Ernestoservini.com. Yeah, everything's there. And there's a store, so if you want to buy anything, that's the best way to support musicians, especially right now since we can't play or not as much. There I have a store there where you can get all the CDs and there's a couple there's a t shirt that you can buy and I wrote a drum etude recently if you're a drummer. Um so there's lots of stuff on there mm -hmm. that you can check out. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ernesto. Thank you, Cody. It's been my pleasure. And just a reminder, you were listening to Ernesto Cervini, his group Turboprop with their newest album, Abundance, winning a Juno Award. I highly suggest you go check out the music. If you want to go find other podcasts from my series, Conversations with Cody, Jazz Talks, you can go to CodyHutchinson.com. That's K-O-D-I. Thanks so much for joining us and look forward to the next time.